Because of globalization, India is now more connected to the world than ever before. Think about mobile penetration and how digital payments has taken off. Think about apps like TikTok which are highly popular across the country. Think of WhatsApp University, a beast that could spread misinformation and lead not only to panic but even mob frenzy and beef killings. Every single day we straddle two worlds, the virtual and the real. Welcome to States of Anarchy. I'm your host Hamsini Hariharan and every week on the show I discuss important issues in global affairs and foreign policy. India ranks among the worst in the world for cybersecurity. Over the last few years we've heard of bank frauds, of leaks from the Aadhaar system, of states interfering in others elections. In fact, just this month the Election Commission of India issued cybersecurity guidelines for the upcoming assembly elections. It's also been reported that India will get a new cyber security strategy early next year in 2020. But before we get into that, let's take a step back. How should we define cyber security? What are the biggest challenges that a state faces from the cyber domain? How will advancements in big data and AI affect cyber security? The US and China already have cyber commands. Is it time for India to get one? My guest for today is Manish Sharma. Manish is a consultant in the Strategic Technology Center at the Institute for Defense Studies and Analysis. He was a Chevening Cybersecurity Fellow for the year 2017-18. He works mainly on cybersecurity, critical information, infrastructure protection, space security, and the geopolitical aspects of emerging technologies. Manish has authored research papers, articles, briefs and commentaries for various journals, magazines and websites. I caught up with him in Delhi and decided it would be a good idea for us to understand the nitty-gritties of technology. But before we get into our conversation with Manish, let's hear from IBM Podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome to another awesome week on the IBM Podcast Network. If you are not following us on social media, please make sure you do. We're IBM Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I have a announcement for all of you, at least you know the couple of dozen of you who are listening to us on SoundCloud. Come the end of October, early November, we're going to be discontinuing that channel. We're not really going to be making our content available on SoundCloud anymore. So if you are listening on SoundCloud, you can have a number of options. I say the best option is downloading the IBM Podcast app, but if not, you can download another podcasting app and you'll be able to find our content over there. We have a couple of new shows launching this week. Let me tell you about those. The first is called Boundless. This is hosted by Natasha Malpani Oswal. She reads her poems on mental health, relationships, family, marriage, and many other topics, and narrates personal anecdotes around these poems. Tune in to new episodes every Monday and Wednesday, starting from seventh October. Postcards from Nowhere is hosted by Utsav Mamoria. It's a travel podcast where Utsav talks about his journeys to obscure and fascinating places around the world. He explores the culture, history, and people from these places in the form of stories and gives you tips and tricks on solo travel. Tune in to new episodes every Thursday, starting from the 10th of October. Here's what else you got on the IBM Podcast Network this week. On the scene and the unseen, Amit Verma is in conversation with writer and bibliophile Vivek Tejuja. They discuss his memoir, so now you know, and Vivek sheds light on how it was growing up gay in India in the 90s. On Feeding 10 Billion, Ramya and Varun are joined by Mark Khan, founding partner of Omnivore. They discuss the business of food and also analyze the changing food systems in India. On Advertising is Dead, Varun is joined by clinical psychologist Sonali Gupta. They speak about mental health in the workplace and how one can balance the work and life pressures. On the origin of things, Chuck narrates a story about a criminal from Portland, Oregon, whose infamous last words have become the slogan for a famous brand. On the Pragati podcast, Surya Prakash Bia joins Pawan Shri Nath to help us understand the functioning of the subordinate judiciary. 
Suri and Pawan are also on our Kannada podcast Thalle Harate this week. They talk about how a new drug is discovered or invented. This week's episode of GBCD is titled P for Parents with Sunetra and Farhad discuss how challenging coming out to one's mom and dad can be and how they did it. On Mr and Mrs Binge Watch, Janice and Anirudh talk about Gideon Raff's extremely binge-worthy show on Netflix, The Spy Starring Sasha Baron Cohen. Let me add my recommendation to this. I saw it this week and it is really good. On what a player Mikhail is joined by three comics Siddharth Gopinath, Rahul Lalchadani and Abbas joins them as well. They get into an intense chat over the legitimacy of sports entertainment and wrestling. And with that, let's get you on with your shows. Welcome back to States of Anarchy. I'm your host Hamsini Hariharan and I'm talking to Munish Sharma about cybersecurity. Hi Munish, welcome to States of Anarchy. I'm happy to have you here. Thank you. So today I thought we could talk about something that I know you've worked extensively on, cybersecurity. Now cybersecurity is one of those cool new things that are in in that sense that are more firms that are coming up that are lots of more people who are specializing in it. But what is cybersecurity? Oh, <laughs> cybersecurity is uh, security of cyberspace. Okay. Uh again i'll just uh, diverge from here mm-hmm. it means different to different like connotation uh, it has got different connotation for different people mm-hmm. so look at individuals first of all mm-hmm. uh when you walk mostly it involves a lot of exchange of email communication mm-hmm. blah 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 yeah yeah um net banking uh, you manage your money along with that so our fear of exposure to cyberspace is in that particular mm. domain right yeah so our attack surface or mm. exposure or a sphere of what do you call as usability or mm. it's limited right mm. it's very small yeah it's very someone leaking data or someone attacking your passwords exactly. or something so for individual cyber security is passwords uh net banking otps mm. uh email access yeah so small things trivial i would say when we go privacy. to the bigger things privacy obviously <laughs> mm. now you come to organizations companies then it's obviously about confidential information mm-hmm. business information mm-hmm. your email communication or if for example if you are uh, involved in some merger or acquisition then what information bidding mm-hmm. uh, if you have plans to bid for something then obviously that information is critical yeah so securing that information when it's traveling over internet or cyberspace mm-hmm. internet i won't say because for example if it's in a pen drive mm-hmm. then okay. it's not on internet but it's still in cyberspace hmm. it's still virtually lying there right okay so although on a physical device it's a physical device okay. pen drive is a physical device so it forms part of company cyberspace or exposure or attack surface so anything will happen which can go wrong will happen in that space hmm. so that's company's understanding of cyber security okay. to secure that flow of information or hmm. uh, whether it's flow or whether it's at rest okay uh then a uh, next level is about governments mm. or government bodies or um, armies armies uh, in that sense so governments uh, the kind of information which governments deal with mm. that's way much more classified than a private company yeah yeah um This defense is- uh, information your deployment of troops mm. like one of the most important information which any adversary pakistan would like or love to have it mm. So how do you secure that and that information may not necessarily be at one place mm. it will travel mm. because the whole idea of having information and cyber and internet is that you exchange it at lightning speed mm. so how do you secure those frontiers like how do you not divulge or how do you make sure that uh your information or uh, whatever you are deeming to be is mm. very important for you 
it's not compromised. So their understanding of cyber security is in that larger context. So different connotations, but at the end of the day, two things uh, you will, uh, I would say, continuously come across: mm-hmm. cyber security and information security. Okay. Sometimes they're interlinked. People use them interchangeably, but mm-hmm. information security deals with just information. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if, for example, I have an agreement with you and it's in a printed format, mm. so that particular thing could have details about maybe what our companies are going to deal with or all mm. those things, mm. and it's locked in a cupboard. Mm. That's information, and okay. securing that is your information security. Mm. All right. All right. And when the same thing is traveling through our email, mm. all right, or it's stored on our computer or on our pen drive, mm. then it forms part of cyber security. Okay, so, maybe a good question to ask you now would be what is what constitutes the cyberspace. So the best thing about this particular question is that hmm. you cannot define cyberspace. Okay, you go to internet, you will find n number of definitions, hmm. and you will find U.S. Department of Defense being quoted everywhere, left and right. Hmm. Cyberspace means da 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 compilation of this 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 network routers information hmm. people whatever. So if you go by definition, then anything which is cyber linked, hmm. uh, your computers, hmm. um, routers, servers. uh probably information in that mm. people who are dealing with that they all are part of cyberspace okay but on top of that cyberspace is more of a cognitive or virtual domain mm. so probably relationships which build over uh, these things they also form part of cyberspace mm. and when people communicate over it mm. when people share ideas it all becomes part of cyberspace so it has got many layers basically it's built on physical entities mm. a computer when it's connected through a router speaks to someone else mm. wires or proper uh, wireless whatsoever mm. it f- forms on a physical space on that physical uh, infrastructure you have pulled in applications so mm. windows might have developed some software mm. apple might have some software google might have some software on top of those software we build those applications like what you interact with mm. or how we interact with whatsapp for example or facebook application yeah so all social media yeah um, for that matter yeah and now on top of these applications mm. we have developed social circles mm. our interaction your social media circle or uh, your facebook friend circle whatever you call mm. it then it goes into more of social and cognitive mm. space so i always find it difficult to define mm. because if i go by paper uh, sorry if i go by the uh, bookish Book, yeah. definition then it does not serve the purpose mm. i mean it might end up with three or four or five lines but i think it's too difficult to define as such yeah. the only thing is it's just in the cognitive domain so Yeah but that's also sort of the exciting thing about it right that it's evolving with the pace of technology yeah. that people are finding new ways and new applications for it every single day yes um, but that also means like challenges to cybersecurity evolve right like just broadly what do you think fr- let's not go into like the people perspective perhaps mm-hmm. let's stick to broader broader like governments or national security perspective what do you think the challenges to cybersecurity would be from like a government perspective difficult to categorize mm. uh, but still uh, if you look at prominent ones mm. they are uh, non state actors okay at the first place mm. and obviously state actors mm. and few actors who are proxies of state mm. so probably okay let's start with non state so that's mm. quite flat like terror outfits hackers or groups of hackers mm. uh, along with that you have uh, criminals now 
um, getting more technologically advanced. So with these like services, hmm. for example, which are available for you to borrow or buy. Hmm. So as a criminal syndicate, you don't have to be very good technologically, but hmm. you can simply buy these services. And then you can do a lot of things which can damage probably hmm. a nation's banking infrastructure. Okay. That's yeah. one aspect of it. Hmm. And uh, terror outfits, they have always been notorious. So yeah. They have again with social media. What they try to do is they try to recruit people mm. from. Yeah, uh, mobilization is a huge thing, yeah, right? Yeah. Like with ISIS, you could see yes, how. Yes, and it all happened through Twitter. Yeah, and uh, through what they were doing was more of pushing their agenda through mm. social media. So that's basically gives them the reach, mm. what they need the most, mm. especially in those geographies where they have got no physical presence. Mm. So mobilizing people there, along with that, uh, raising funds from. Um, very sparse geographical hmm. uh, locations. So probably through Bitcoins, uh, one thing which ISIS tried to master was uh, let people donate through Bitcoins. Really? I, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. So they did, I think, somewhere around 2014, 15, I'm not sure. But they did this thing where they urged people to donate uh, through Bitcoins. Oh, wow. And uh, so that's one thing even they hmm. could do, like raise funds beyond their traditional activities or beyond uh, reaching out to people. Mm. Uh, along with that, if you look at uh, the threats which come from governments per mm. se. So when we say governments, then obviously we'll have to look at their <clears throat> intelligence agencies, mm. which have the resources, wherewithal, manpower, mandate, mm. everything in place to do. Right. And then you have uh, armed forces. Mm. So again, I think uh, we'll discuss in detail later about cyber commands and yeah, uh, those yeah. things. That's different. But the whole idea is that governments have uh, realized mm. that uh, they'll have to kind of mandate few organizations which could do offensive operations also in cyberspace. So that actually leads you to a new scenario where governments, your adversarial governments are your immediate threats. Mm. And sometimes what they do is they don't direct it through a entity like mm. government establishment, but hire somebody else. So proxies, what we call as. Mm. So that gives you something called as deniability. Mm. So if uh, something which you can establish as say has come from country A, then mm. you can simply say that all right, there are proxies. Yeah. So plausible deniability has uh, come into play in, the, in, in mm. this case. So that gives them the leeway to do a lot of uh, notorious stuff without being uh, attributed for. But have there been sort of examples of um, cyber attacks by governments, either with using proxies or without? Sony Pictures hacking, 2014, if you remember. Uh, what happened? Sony Pictures uh, was hacked. Okay. And a lot of information about companies' internal working contracts, employees, emails of employees, they were mm -hmm. leaked to public domain. And that was in response to this movie called The Interview, uh, which was based on Kim Jong-un too, like his political context. So at the end of the entire investigation, the attack was attributed to North Korea. Hmm. And uh, that's one example where a completely different thing actually <laughs> led to an attack yeah. onto a company mm. which is not even linked to government, but mm. which actually compelled the U.S. government, even President Obama, mm. to issue statements about it and ensure that uh, the culprits would be brought to justice. Wow. So that was the kind of engagement which actually spiraled into. Okay. And then WannaCry uh, UK, mm. 
so uh, what happened with WannaCry? So WannaCry was a ransomware. Hmm. And what ransomware do is uh, once they are onto your system, they won't let you log in, for hmm. example. Or they block you from doing your activity okay. until you pay some money. Uh, so it could be in small amount, probably say 10,000 rupees or 20,000 rupees. But when it impacts, say, 10,000 computers, then hmm. it actually amounts or compounds into a much more bigger problem. Yeah. So there was uh, in UK, uh, hmm. May 2017, yeah. Hmm. So the National Health Services, uh, which the manages NHS, yeah. uh, all the hospitals across UK. So they begin facing this issue where their computers were fair, like locked down. Uh, with something called one acre ransomware, and it was asking them to pay the ransom. That's and horrible. That's hurting health services. Hospitals had to shut down, oh. and all non-emergency operations were closed down. So only operation theater OTs were mm. up and running. And that too, I think, in manual mode. Mm. But all other uh, services were down. I think for a couple of days. So this is the extent now, and again, I think it was attributed later on to North Korea. Okay. Uh, so that's. Another example of how state involvement has reached uh, to such a level. Yeah, I think the earliest, and this is a very old and I'm guessing cliched case, but uh, Stuxnet. Stuxnet. I tend to <laughs> avoid it because it's overdone. Okay, but yeah, still we can discuss. It. <laughs> uh, no, but just for people who don't know, right? Uh, tell us about what happened with Stuxnet. Okay, Stuxnet 2010. Hmm. Iran was developing its nuclear weapons mm-hmm. and uh, US and Israel thought apparently or allegedly whatever you call mm-hmm. it that it's not a good thing and uh, what they eventually did was uh, they tried to take their centrifuges off mm-hmm. at Natan's facility. Okay. So this was through a very targeted ransomware sorry not ransomware but malware which they had written. Okay. It was targeting a specific uh, machine Mm. which was built by Siemens mm. within a time frame, for example, say within one year. Mm. Like, say, for example, in 2006, Siemens mm. had developed this particular centrifuge. So they knew that this particular thing was deployed in at Natanz mm. for uh, uranium enrichment. Yeah, and yeah. so given all those details, they were able to get into uh, their facility. Mm. And then, uh, okay, if I just go a bit into what Stuxnet did was... Sure. So once uh, your uh, centrifuges are rotating, right, mm. and you have a monitor, mm. uh, human machine interface, where um, ordinary human being is actually looking at and then uh, figuring out that everything is at per the plan or like sure. as per the schedule or everything is under control or not. Yeah, he's just monitoring and making just sure monitoring. everything's going. So what Stuxnet was able to do was increase the speed of these centrifuges okay. to a point where they could actually like practically break down. Okay. It was increasing that speed, reducing it, playing with that. Mm. And whatever changes physically were happening mm. in centrifuges, they were not exactly related onto the human machine interface. So the guy who's sitting on the machine, for him, everything is normal oh, on okay. the machine, wow. on his monitor. Mm. But what's happening in the backdrop was completely different. So this led to a loss of a lot of... Because centrifuge... I mean, this particular thing, enrichment happens in series. Mm. So one uh, output of one centrifuge, it goes into the next one. Mm. So if you take one thing, even if you take one bit out of the entire series, it's all like... It's a cycle, right? Yeah, it's a cycle. So that's how they were able to derail the Uranian nuclear program. Mm. And that happened in 2010. And we know who has done it. Yeah. 
I'm surprised Hollywood hasn't come out with a movie about Stuxnet yet. Yeah, seriously. Uh, it would be an Oscars, uh, right? Yeah, it's a very good use case. <laughs> But uh, what about more recently? Uh, was uh, WannaCry the last known state attack on another state services? Uh, along with that, uh, WannaCry along with that, uh, if you just, it's not restricted only to cyber as such okay but if you look at the way uh, the election campaigns mm. have been uh, targeted mm. uh, presidential election campaigns in US and France mm. uh, they were both subjective to cyber attacks mm. um, Russia probably okay just and, uh, because there's been so much that's said about this right what exactly do they mean by cyber attacks there was one thing of like leaking people's emails and stuff like that then there you have like an actor like wikileaks um but there was also allegations of them interfering with social media and campaigns and things so what would like a cyber attack on a election constitute uh well if you look at in that sense i said earlier like different things different connotation different people yeah, or yeah, different yeah. entities right so in that sense also uh it varies mm. the definition itself varies mm. what i believe anything which hinders you from doing a normal activity mm. is like in cyberspace mm. could be classified as cyber attack mm. so if i don't let you log in into your machine itself at mm. the very first place it could be a cyber attack because what ransomware did so it's a category of malware mm-hmm. ransomware mm-hmm. but essentially it is a cyber attack okay yeah and uh, if it was the sony case now mm. let's go back so if it was sony case their communication like their emails were hacked mm. all that information was put into public domain mm. so since it was a case of unauthorized access mm. so if somebody kind of intrudes into your space mm. your cyberspace mm. which is protected mm. unauthorized access it could be now if somebody breaks it down mm. like physically if it breaks it down you can't classify it as cyber attack but it's one of the ways of uh, kinetically killing it or kinetically destroying it yeah and then there's also the idea of like reputational harm right like it might not even bring you financial harm yeah. but you know if you're using someone's emails to just expose what they're doing in their sp- loss of reputation yeah. yeah loss of reputation could be another i, I so anything see anything whatever you believe is valuable to you hmm. it could be money hmm. it could be reputation uh it could be your trade secrets mm. so if uh, my formula for something if i'm a pharma company and i have my uh, whole intellectual property i hold it like i hold value in that mm. all right so it's valuable to me if it's stored in somewhere in any uh, format like mm. which is on cyberspace or which is in cyberspace mm. then i think anything which is going to infringe on its integrity or uh security is a threat for me or it's a cyber mm. attack so now what happened is three key um, terms you would uh, find about uh, cyber security or okay. cyber as such is mm. uh, confidentiality integrity and availability okay so if you harm any three any one of these three it's a cyber threat so, so confidentiality confidentiality is uh, your space as you said whatever right? information you have stored yeah. if any unauthorized access has come to it mm. now okay like, let's see uh, we have a common i would say some information which both of us know yeah like when this podcast is releasing <laughs> exactly all right so this information is between uh, both of us right mm. and for example if it's a company where you have board of mm. com- like board of directors who have like 10 people mm. so now they all would know something which is a secret yeah yeah but when somebody breaks into mm. either uh, 
cracks or hacks into somebody's email id and then gets that information mm-hmm. so that's unauthorized access that becomes a cyber attack because it's violating your confidentiality okay sure theek hai second thing is integrity mm-hmm. integrity of information is that okay i have given you something if somebody modifies it uh, we have an agreement about so and so and then mm-hmm. if it's modified in between and the terms and conditions have changed that's loss of integrity yeah it's like suppose tomorrow uh, through using some amazing technology i change your voice to say something completely different from what you're saying right now that would be affecting the integrity the ways, right yeah. yeah and availability is what availability is most important which like again uh, depends on like what kind of uh, cyber system you are looking at mm-hmm. these three are uh, the i would say cornerstone on which the entire uh, discipline of cyber security mm-hmm. rests so availability is that you should have access to your system Okay. If anything which is denying access to your system mm. or blocking you from being available to you, it's a cyber attack. What happened in the case of ransomware? Okay. So ransomware is not targeting your confidentiality or integrity mm. of information, but it's targeting your availability of that particular mm. asset. Yeah. So if I have been logged out of my cell phone, mm. and that's a like very straightforward case of loss of availability. Yeah. and in cases of things like the nhs in britain um, that could yeah, lead to same cry, yeah. Yeah, yeah right like uh, losses of millions of dollars and like health risks all over the country right so what happened with uh, like presidential elections i don't know if like cyber attacks are only restricted to what happened in the us and the uk because australia has also been complaining about it there's this new thing called right, sharp right. power that's yeah. going around right Uh, uh, so, so sharp power is just this new term that I've been hearing that says that it's uh, they just define it as the power to interfere with another country's democratic processes. Yes, uh, the elections uh, case mm. which I spoke about, yeah. along with that Brexit. Mm. So these three cases uh, are being now looked at from a very, I would say, strategic angle because. uh elections are something which i strongly believe are the bedrocks of democracies mm. okay free and fair elections unless until you just you cannot guarantee free and fair elections i think you just cannot sustain democracy completely on top of that but once of adversary a foreign adversary mm. tries to undermine the confidence of people in their elective or elected government mm. that's what is something which is troublesome so if i get this doubt at all that mm. the government which i have elected has been elected due to some mm. uh manipulation or something then my confidence in that government or institution yeah the down. government loses legitimacy with anything it does after exactly, that right exactly so now what happened uh, was brexit is one of the cases where uh, to try to influence those fringe voters right mm. who were indecisive that whether they should go for brexit or they should not mm. go for brexit but now what is happening especially with social media platforms and it's very important here to underline the case of cambridge analytica mm. so this company uh, you might have heard of yeah, it yeah yeah it blew up last year right yes i think last to last year or 2018 yeah, yeah. 2018. 2018 yeah hmm. uh, but uh, so what this company was doing uh, it was established earlier as political consultancy mm. so they were uh, helping political parties to win elections as simple as that okay and how were they doing the that the ways which they adopted huh. uh, they were i would say not legitimate so they got access into people's uh, facebook profiles mm. 
uh, what estimates we had from America was close to 50 million people. Wow. And they were involved in 2010 Bihar elections also. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the political parties had hired Cambridge Analytica. Cambridge Analytica was also hired by Trump uh, for his election campaigning. And so let's not link both of these, but mm-hmm. what they were doing was they were accessing people's profiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, through an app which was developed for psychological testing okay. so by a psychologist from Cambridge. Okay. So this is a normal app what we generally get like, okay. Take a f- test to take see. Take a test and then uh, it inflates your ego that all right. Yeah, yeah. So and so whatever. You are this type of person, you blue will bring out the color <laughs> of your eyes, something. Right? So nothing about the app as hmm. such. I heard that it was a pretty good app. I have not okay. used it, but okay. it was a genuine effort by a psychologist to develop a testing mm. application. But what they were doing was they were uh, through that application, they were harvesting a lot of information about your social networks. Okay. So your Facebook profile along with that, your friends uh, information. So they tried in a way like they were trying to figure out that what are your preferences or what are your uh, inclinations, affiliation, mm. so that kind of information. And that will feed into what you believe politically, right? Exactly, because at the end of the day, it's all about elections. Yeah. So now with this information, what you can do is, so once you derive uh, your demographic information, you know that what's your age, mm. uh, what's your uh, affiliation, or mm. what kind of things you are involved in, mm. uh, what kind of movies you like, mm. or what kind of probably places you go out to mm-hmm. hang out or to eat or so this information now can feed your political campaign so now you i know that with these traits you are more likely to be inclined to political party a or you are on the fringes or you are so and so i can direct political campaign against you which serves exactly my purpose vis-a-vis you like so target ads targeted towards, yeah. is like yeah exactly so earlier advertisements or political campaigns were broadcasted, right? Yeah, so you have yeah. pamphlet or you put mm-hmm. an ad in newspaper. It goes appeals to everyone. Yeah, like everyone it, sees yeah, the it same It goes ad. to everyone, but appeals to few. Yeah, sure. But with this targeted campaigning, what was happening was whatever content now I am seeing on my uh, wall post or uh, my own whatever, like Twitter feed or mm. whatever, it was more targeted for me. Mm. So that's one way of manipulation. Mm. Uh, using Cambridge Analytica but presidential elections uh, I mentioned per se because uh, in that case Hillary Clinton's political party DNC Mm. uh, its email server was hacked okay and whatever private communication she was having with her like campaign officers that was put into public domain so now this information uh, some of it was true Mm. and some of it was not true so the non-true information was mixed with true information and then sent into or leaked into public domain that, see, this is what she's saying. Mm. So that could have been some racist comment or that mm-hmm. could have been something which completely is against the interest of U.S. You can manipulate sure, also. Sure. Yeah. So the people were fed with uh, this kind of manipulated information. Mm. What happened in case of French elections, mm. uh, then very next year, I think I was in 2016. Early yeah, when Macron was voted. Macron, yeah. So his same thing happened, a uh, few uh, documents were leaked, mm. but uh, same thing, like, again, some uh, manipulation, like some unauthorized information was put into his legitimate documents and leaked out. Not much of a damage as compared to what happened in the US because uh, media had a blackout, media was not reporting on it. And uh, it happened in that two days of blackout when okay, yeah, uh, yeah. you go into... Uh, uh, like before the election uh, when election campaigning is over okay. and then you're ready for elections yeah so US 
if you look at results mm. like who won and who lost then you can actually correlate and say that all oh, right it could have been one of the, the one factors, of the factors yeah, yeah. look at french they were more prepared in that sense mm. and uh, they could mitigate that risk initially mm. uh, probably because government was probably they had learned from american experience mm. or they were better prepared to handle these uh, situations so similar things like when we speak about uh, although i want like it's weird to relate with cyber security mm. things like fake news but at the end of the day they are harming something which we strongly believe in as a nation yeah all right so when we speak of national security right mm. uh, in broader terms now let's go there yeah so anything i believe is hurting your national interest mm. or anything which is not in line with your constitution right so i think that could be perceived as a national threat if i believe in say secularism for mm. example let's not but assume that you are yeah. really even secular or if you believe in uh, something like sure. anything um, let's be a probably a religion or anything yeah. yeah anything which is hurting that interest mm. should be a national security, security threat. threat for me so if i believe in democracy mm. and i have very like with established as ethos for me mm. so anything which is going to undermine that particular value or ethos for me mm. that i think should qualify as a threat to national security i agree and i wanted to bring up the point of fake news because i i don't like to call it fake news i'd prefer to call it misinformation because i think there's a clear line that you can draw there and what we know with what happened with isis is that social media mobilization is very easy and what you can do with misinformation is a little scary in that sense because we know that there are fault lines in every state and you know what they can be exploited against mm-hmm. right so um for me personally it's very scary how misinformation feeds into these fault lines and how it could release like communal tensions yeah. for one right um or religious tensions ethnic tensions and you can play people against each other on percepts that are not even true so how do you sort of build systems that are resilient or how can you combat misinformation i know it's a large question but how can you yeah okay let's Just look at the problem okay. as such. Mm. So, what fake news mm. or misrepresentation of information, whatever you call yeah. it, manipulation of information, uh, it travels probably over two platforms. Mm. One is your social media, mm. and second is your messaging apps. Yeah. All right. For example, WhatsApp or yeah. whatever. In right. So these two are the medium over which these things kind of spread like a wildfire. Mm. Now. what exactly comprises of fake news is mm. any information which is uh misrepresented like yeah it might be true in mm. its own thing but it's been taken out of context for mm. example a particular quote from uh, 10 years ago that yeah. someone says oh, or yeah. maybe i'm giving an interview and then you'll mm. just pick one line cherry pick and then use it yeah. uh, to sow seeds of uh, hatred among people mm. right that's most important for us yeah because our societies are more multi-ethnic multi-religious mm. so many faiths with within religion i think we have so many faiths which yeah yeah very plural together. very yeah. so pluralistic right so when any adversary mm. right in that sense tries to kind of break our society mm. uh, based on those things using fake information or mm. using information which is not supposed to be in that case yeah that does qualify as fake news mm. but how you are going to tackle it mm. is both a technology question as well as a sociology question mm. 
because technology has its own limitations yeah all right so even now uh, something has come up called as deep fakes okay so deep fake is all right so for example if we have a fake news or huh. an article which is projecting information incorrectly hmm. how do we verify it you have fact checkers or, exactly yeah. so fact checker will cross check with something like huh. a government report or something else yeah, yeah. something which is more established right huh. so all right so one thing like for listeners one more hmm. thing which i should press upon here is that how things have changed with social media and hmm. with internet and with our more inclusion in cyberspace hmm. is that earlier how did we consume information maybe 10 years earlier 15 years earlier newspapers radio um, broadcast yeah broadcast right so all these things i mean all these sources mm. had some credibility to it yeah if i'm reading hindu or tvi or mm. indian express then it's backed by a team of correspondents and editors and uh, they might produce yeah. right they have a whole chain of uh, people like and they have authenticity and again, i mean uh, they might push for some information but Which they have like training or, they have, yeah. exactly but i mean things did happen in the, i mean in that phase also hmm. where yeah. uh, you had your own favorites you'll pick information Agendas. for them or agenda or you run uh, news items which hmm. will favor or demean somebody right hmm. but you had some backing of a media house or a brand or hmm. something behind that now what has happened with uh, more of explosion of internet is that you will have some random people running websites which have got no credibility at all WhatsApp forwards <laughs> and WhatsApp forwards, which are just a GIF or a JPG image, just yeah. a snapshot. Yeah, you have got no immediate or practical means to go and verify it, mm-hmm. and it has got no credibility. Mm. And what has happened eventually is that once technology has fallen into the hands of, I won't say literate, like okay. uh, uh, less literate, or okay. I would say less educated. Yeah. So when somebody who does not have this ability to decide whether what I'm reading is true or not mm. or whether the ability to question that is it true or shall I think uh, before forwarding it to somebody else. So we have become more as consumers of this random useless information. I agree with you that literacy is one part of it, but I think the more important question is the ability to say is what i'm reading true right because you have a lot of literate people also forwarding, forwarding these exactly. messages that's why i did not say yeah uh, i explicitly said it's like yeah. less educated Get because it. education in that sense i believe is your cognitive ability to decide things are right or not yeah yeah so i have even practically i have seen well to do people forwarding mm. some like literally useless stuff i completely agree and like often this would happen to me with family i would be like the fact checker for my family they would come and say oh we heard that tomorrow there's going to be a huge storm because it's true. an eclipse true. i said first i doubt that's true but i can verify that for you exactly. by googling it but just and these are people who are literate these are people who've done like masters degrees and have great paying jobs and good corporates and, and they fall like for that. it and they fall for it so first of all there is no authenticity of this kind of mm. information from where it's coming or from mm. second thing is uh, we people like mm. we don't just act as consumers of the information but as carriers also yeah, yeah. So we multiply it so now different from how it was earlier mm. this time you now have got no means as such to mm. verify it quickly yeah as a fact checker or mm. you'll have to and then uh, one thing I, i mentioned about was deep fakes yeah so now if you have compromised the source mm. from where it's picked mm. then how do you establish its authenticity that's like you are going one step ahead and then mm. 
compromising the very source itself so you have gone much more deeper into this particular game mm. one example which i can quickly talk about is yeah. this software which was developed i believe at stanford okay so i don't know it's called a face something okay leave okay. it so this software what it does it uh, it takes the picture of a celebrity mm. okay and then it if i am the one who is actually using mm. it so through cameras and through voice uh, identification mm. what it will do is whatever i am going to speak mm. okay the same voice and uh, facial expressions it will impose onto that celebrity so he'll have the same expression that if he's talking in his voice oh wow so you can superimpose these two things like whatever i am speaking as of now mm. copying my facial uh, like expressions and take my voice like what content i'm speaking remains same yeah. but the voice would be say of uh, trump for that matter so these things are possible now so now how do you figure out that this particular video mm. all right is actually authentic or true or not so that's the level where things have mm. gone now so you don't have practical uh, ready means to do mm. a fact checker but quick things which you can do like as hmm. uh, yes. normal human being yeah. or as users is that first of all uh, just apply your mind that is it like first of all for things like is it too good to be true hmm. for things which are sweet but for things which are bitter for our society hmm. we'll have to stop it then and there yeah so any information which you believe is that uh, which you believe that it is going to uh, lead into say a right situation mob lynching for that matter yeah, yeah. you should stop it then and there hmm. you should cross check just go to google hmm. type about it if a newspaper of a good repute is supporting it recently recently obviously in that context hmm. and then just go through it whether it's hmm. true or not establish it so technology has its own uh, way of doing it because hmm. i know a couple of startups who are using artificial intelligence to do a fact checker hmm. so they run it quickly through the available sources authentic ones and then they are doing it using crowdsourcing also okay. so you have individuals who are contributing and then who mm. are manually doing a lot of stuff that okay this is true this is not true mm. but they just cannot do it for everything which is floating all across social media or That's on true. messaging apps their reach is quite limited but you would have seen these uh, startups doing a lot of fact checker mm. and then they certify okay this is true this is not true mm. they try to manually go in on to the source if it's a video for example yeah some people from some religion being mm. uh, thrashed or something of that sort yeah, right? yeah. which could actually inflate a lot of religious mm. tensions so now to figure out whether it was at the same place where it is claimed to be they might pick something from indonesia and then say it's happening in india yeah. few uh, thing where uh, i think the during the rohingya crisis mm. uh, few images from myanmar they were picked and uh, they were being i think shown as somewhere in west bengal or something oh, of that sort wow. so all these things could happen mm. uh, especially with the um, religious mm. i mean uh, clashes during those days yeah yeah so it's quite probable to happen mm. you are from bangalore you would remember that the north east crisis yeah, right people yeah. had the, to flock out of bangalore because yeah. everyone got messages saying that they are meeting yeah. up people uh, who say that they are from the north east exactly. and there was a huge exodus outside yes. bangalore which is generally a multicultural plural yes. city yes true um and it's one of the fallouts of um, blind use of technology without mm. applying our brains So because you brought up artificial intelligence um how do you think artificial intelligence uh, AI and things like uh, big data which are 
very fashionable now how do you think they are going to affect cyber security they are going to affect or they are going to strengthen yeah both like ways. in both ways all right so the way they are going to affect uh, is the example which i uh, mentioned about mm-hmm. that facial mapping yeah, thing right yeah. so that algorithm is based on ai mm. to pick up uh, those points on my face and then mm. uh, manipulate and then try to impose it on somebody else that's purely ai based application mm. okay so that's something which could be used for damage mm. but beyond that a uh, lot of startups again mm. uh, they are investing in even traditional companies for mm. example those who are into cyber security they are trying to gather as much as information because they have presence like for example if it's an if it's antivirus right mm. so you will have it installed on your machine mm. so they'll get this telemetry information from everywhere mm. so if it's a global company then they know that they have a very broader picture mm. like what's happening or what kind of infections uh, Uh, machines in a specific country are facing right okay, so they have yeah. this telemetry information which continuously flows into so now this information needs to be analyzed mm. first of all it's global it's coming all throughout manually you just cannot sort through it right? yeah, yeah. so you would need something powerful in terms of computation mm. to run through it and then you have applications of big data and artificial intelligence pitching in mm. so how do you sort this information make it more like comprehensible in that mm. sense so that you can derive at least threat index from mm. that like what's happening to look at even for future not just like providing resolution then and there yeah and then to provide solution which are more based on uh, the ai engine like so something which a machine can decide on its own mm. so those kind of things are actually happening in that space where uh, companies are using this information like troves of information mm. to uh, look at uh, threats mm. which you can if possible stop before they actually hurt you and it need not necessarily be coming in from telemetry but it could be uh, called in from probably geopolitical understanding of thing mm-hmm. or an ongoing uh, confrontation so because cyber right now is not linked to cyberspace as such mm-hmm. it travels across your politics your economics yeah, society yeah. right it spills over it spills every other and domain. it's everywhere yeah all right so uh it's so easy for a uh, conflict which is more mm. of a diplomatic standoff or geopolitical in nature for example when india and china had this doklam issue yeah, going yeah, on yeah. it's so easy for these things uh to pick context from there mm. so even uh, one prominent example uh, we come across is uh, estonia in 2007 where russia attacked estonian infrastructure okay so their banking parliament telecommunications uh, broadcasting everything was hit okay uh, using a denial of service attacks mm. so this was in response to a government decision to move a statue which was uh, from the red army mm. out of tallinn the capital of uh, estonia, estonia. so they wanted to move this statue uh, away from city center towards outskirts so this decision caused such an such a backlash in russia that russian i don't know now could be government or could be those patriots who think that it should not have mm. happened they targeted estonia so now we are in a phase where these issues which are more diplomatic or mm. geopolitical in nature they could easily spill into mm. in the form of cyber attacks Yeah no that, that makes a lot of sense. So their analysis along with the telemetry the on the ground mm. information it has to be clubbed together to understand that okay 
what likely is going to be my threat mm. say probably uh, an year down the line and then how do you take those proactive measures to stop it then and there or before it actually mm. could culminate into an attack considering how vast this space is and considering how you know threats change and threat perceptions change very quickly i know that the us and china have cyber commands that are constituted by their governments india doesn't have anything like that right are we going to set one up should we set one up i think that's for government to decide <laughs> uh, we can have our opinions right? yeah what uh, is your opinion so my honest opinion in that case is we'll have to look at it objectively uh, we'll have to look at what merits it brings mm. so us cyber command was set up i think somewhere in 2009 mm. all right and uh, this particular cyber command is headed by the chair of the national security agency okay. so whomsoever is heading nsa uh, will head the cyber us cyber command. command so till about i think when china began restructuring its uh, army mm. Uh, that began, I think, in 2015, 16, and mm. then it went into that. Uh, it established those theater commands and strategic support forces mm. were raised. Mm. Which I mean, China does not have mm. as of now something called as what you said was a cyber command. But mm. the strategic support forces have the mandate, which uh, you can imply that okay. serves as China's cyber command. Yeah, right. Okay. So just because US has done it, mm. it does not necessarily mean that we should also do it. Sure. so it has to be completely our own understanding of the situation and then our action should be derived by our own threat perception mm. that does not mean that we should not have it <laughs> okay okay yeah we should have it that's my uh, personal opinion and in, in our book which uh, we had authored uh, with my colleague this year okay uh, we have clearly mentioned that we should have a scope for a cyber command mm. but having a cyber command and letting it meet its mandate mm. these are two different things because having a cyber command is i would say the mechanics of it yeah, yeah but you need the right intent to use it to meet your national security objectives or to push forward your national interest that's one thing hmm. i mean that's more important than setting up a cyber command sure. so if you have an agency hmm. which could be used to meet those objectives hmm. then it need not necessarily be called as cyber command okay all right yeah, so it could yeah. be any uh, agency abc xyz mm-hmm. which has a mandate which is doing its job whether it's called cyber command or not we are okay with that yeah yeah the whole idea is to have the right mandate and mm-hmm. the intent to pursue that mm-hmm. now uh, us has its own cyber command china mm-hmm. has its strategic support forces so if you look at uh, the recent notification from the ministry of defense mm-hmm. uh, the ministry of defense had provision something called as a defense cyber agency okay so a dca for me mm-hmm. if i read it uh like that should have the right mandate okay whether it's called or whether it's eventually raised into a cyber command or not it's a different mm-hmm. thing but given the requirement as of now and given the government's intent mm. it should serve serve the purpose what a probably mm. cyber command should have mm. uh done for us but i believe that it's the first step mm. so like f- taking that baby step to what developing or raising a a defense cyber agency and then probably upgrading it mm. uh, into a full-fledged cyber command if we feel the desire to do so mm. so now even if you look at the case of us although in 29 2009 they had raised the cyber command mm. but it was not a competent command mm. so like they have i think seven or eight competent commands mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so i think after trump came in and mm. it was somewhere in august 2018 when 
um, the order from president came that we should have the cyber command at par with combatant commands. Mm. So that was based on their own perception that given the threats which U.S. is facing, we should elevate it to the level of a combatant command. Mm. The same thing for us. If mm. it's a DCA and then eventually we feel the need to do so, then probably we should be able to or we must raise a cyber command eventually. Fair enough. So, again, this brings me to my last question, which is what books or what resources would you recommend for people who want uh, to know more about cybersecurity? My book? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so what is your book called? Uh, you it's edited called it last year. Uh, no, uh, we authored it. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and my colleague, Dr. Chiran Samuel, we authored mm-hmm. this book, uh, India's Strategic Options in the in a Changing Cyberspace, it's okay. called as. But, again, I would say you should... Try to triangulate information. Okay. Uh, let's not whenever if you if you want to research. I mean, I'm uh, not speaking about a light reading because mm. for light reading, newspapers are enough. Yeah, just watch any of the news channels, or if you want to go deeper, you can read any of the newspapers. But if you want to go deeper into research, mm. then I think it's quite important for researchers to understand that information should be looked at from both the sides. Mm. So if you are looking at American sources, mm. uh, reports coming in from say CFR or Rand Corporation or um, so many think tanks are doing mm. it for them now. Try to triangulate with similar kind of, uh, I would say, publications coming out of China. Mm. And now there is no dearth of, I'm sorry, but I'm looking at it more from a US-China perspective. But sure. I'm just saying that you should triangulate. Or Russia or Europe. Wherever, wherever it is right? coming from. Yeah, look, Try to look at more government sources because mm. now Russia has its own strategy in place. China also mm. uh, published its cybersecurity uh, strategy. It has published a lot. Eventually, mm. I would say 2013-14 onwards, mm. China has published a lot of uh, primary sources uh, in this domain. So there is no dearth of information. The only thing is you'll have to dig a little deeper mm. because when you search on Google, again, the algorithm as it is designed, it will throw uh, the most viewed sources and which eventually will be Western. Yeah, yeah. So you'll have to go a bit deeper, mm. probably search at Paitu or mm. Chinese sources and then try to look things in context as compared to just going, uh, having a very dogmatic view towards any country for that matter, not just China per se. And unfortunately, I would say, as of now, we don't have a lot of information flowing in out of India. Mm. Uh, Even the research which comes out has a very strong Western influence. Mm. So what we try to do was, uh, it's difficult to do, Mm. to neutralize that and tone it down so Mm. that uh, you can try to look at things uh, more objectively. But uh, we have tried it. Uh, The only thing is, my, again, opinion, humble opinion that government should, again, feed a lot of information. Mm. So probably in the form of reports, a mm. uh, few reports which I found were outdated. Mm. The one good thing about countries from Europe and US is that they have a lot of publicly available information. Yeah. yeah. So just one thing on top of mind, like whatever exchange, mm. uh, for example, amidst uh, this, uh, these allegations over... Uh, um, US and China or UK and China about telecommunication equipment, right? So whatever communication, like the one which parliamentarians had with um, Huawei executives, mm-hmm. those letters, those things have been put into public domain. So you actually get much clearer and better understanding mm-hmm. when you have access to those primary sources. Yeah. So my humble request is that we should have uh, more access to Primary sources. Primary sources. All right. I hope that works out. Thank you so much, Manish. Yeah, welcome. 
That brings us to the end of this episode of States of Anarchy. Thanks for staying with us till the end. If you want to read more about cybersecurity, I've attached a bunch of resources for you in the episode description. So head on over. You can also follow States of Anarchy on Twitter at the rate Hamsneek H and on Instagram at the rate States of Anarchy. If you want to delve deeper into some of the topics that we discussed on the podcast, whether it's public policy or foreign policy, I suggest you check out some of the policy courses at the Takshashila Institution. There are varying lengths and you can choose depending on your interest. So do check those out. If you like what you listen to, then do subscribe to States of Anarchy. We're not only on the IVM podcast app and website, but also on iTunes, Spotify, Savan, Castbox, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next Tuesday. Do you wish you were smarter? Well, so do we. But the next best thing, we could make you sound smarter. And to help you with this endeavor, we are Simplified, Ooh. a podcast uh, that attempts to break down the complex world around you with a little knowledge, a lot of poor jokes, and a ton of random trivia. Episodes out every Monday on the IVM podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. See ya. Namaste, I am Saurabh Chandra. And I am Pranay Kutistani. जब महफिल खत्म होते होते दरवाजे के बाहर पुलिया के ऊपर हम दुनिया भर की जटिल समस्याओं को सॉल्व करने में लग जाते हैं तो हो जाती है पुलियाबाजी अब आजकल के अपार्टमेंट वालों ने तो कभी पुलिया देखी नहीं होगी पर आप फीलिंग तो समझ ही सकते हैं तो आइए शामिल हो जाइए हमारी पुलियाबाजी में जहां प्रणय और मैं एक से एक इंटरेस्टिंग टॉपिक्स की तह तक जाएंगे आर्टिफिशियल इंटेलिजेंस बिटकॉइन पाकिस्तान मेडिकल एजुकेशन करेंसी क्राइसिस कभी हम दोनों के साथ और अक्सर स्पेशल एक्सपर्ट गेस्ट की कंपनी में सुनिए हमें आईवीएम की वेबसाइट ऐप या अपने फेवरेट पॉडकास्टिंग प्लेटफॉर्म पर हर दूसरे हफ्ते